in terms of the scientific revolution. But that revolution cannot become a reality unless we are prepared to make far-reaching changes in economic and social attitudes which permeate our whole system of society. That's the announcement for Mercury Control. This is Walter Cronkite back at the CBS News Control Center at Cape Canaveral. I want to put it to bed once and for all. That is a complete myth. So I collected the emails and set up a list called the Drudge Report. One reader turned into five, then turned into a hundred, and faster than you could say, I never had sex with that woman, it was a thousand. It's always been a, a ruffled trade, which has tended to attract uh, non-conformists and rebels. This is the BBC Home Service. Here is the news, and this is Bruce Belfridge reading it. The first design editor I had at the, at the Times, he was brilliant, because obviously I had no idea how to do this job. <laughs> he sort of took me under his wing a little bit. Meet Morton Merland. You've probably never heard of him, but if you've read The Times, Spectator and a range of other titles, you've probably enjoyed his bold cartoons. And I always used to send all my ideas to him before it went to the comment. Uh, editors so he could sort of take out the really crap ones but one thing he did he said he told me that if the cartoon isn't in by five there's going to be a blank space on the page which obviously scared the crap out of me and even now I know that my deadline is probably eight half eight come five o'clock I'm starting to sweat <laughs> it's just and it, it, yeah so I still I still manage usually to finish around five, six-ish. And it's just that sort of, it's a sort of body response. I can't go much later. Unless obviously there's like a massive story, because this happens, you know, particularly, you know, you remember with the Brexit stuff happening in Parliament and stuff, things happen all the time into late in the evening. And then, you know, at six o'clock, you have to ditch it and you have two hours to do another one. Um, and, uh, and so that happens. So where did it all start for Morton, who hails from Norway? It was just something I always did, you know, just always sitting drawing, you know, at school, that kind of thing. You know, I had, um, I would always just sit and drawing on my school book. I had very understanding teachers. They, they sort of realised they couldn't stop me. So they, they, they sort of said, oh, yeah, uh, keep doing that. That's the, it's fine. And so it was my way of concentrating. You know, I just had to sit and draw little characters and stuff all the time. It, it worked and it was it was something that, but it wasn't something that I ever thought was an actual job because I come from this tiny island in Norway you know you have proper jobs <laughs> it's not you know don't go out and do silly things like drawing cartoons you know so I, I literally had no concept of that as a job um, until literally I joined the Times. Morton is both a historian of political cartoons and an innovator who's embraced animation. Here he explains some of his own findings. But what fascinated me was the fact that, and that goes into the sort of uh, the, the sort of uh, technology part of it, is the fact that it's done in exactly the same way, pretty much, as the early cartoons. Nothing has changed. And so my thing when I was doing my dissertation was actually about the future of British cartooning. I'm just thinking, can this still go last you know as a, as a medium is it given that it hasn't changed for so long so that was what my my, my thing was about um and which also is why i started doing animation it's very early on when i started working for the time so i was thinking internet and stuff like that and putting stuff you know more and more up and so i was thinking okay 
we need to have something that is specific for internet, you know. And that's when I sort of started to teach myself animation, very basic stuff, but it was just, you know, a sort of hobby on the side, but um, it developed from there really, because it was just that idea that you have to, surely you have to move this thing into the, into the modern world. But you still use, you know, dip pen and ink now for the, for the normal work, you know, just use the traditional kit. So what technology does he use on a day-to-day -day basis? I scan it and then I do bits and bobs on, in Photoshop, you know, that is uh, to correct mistakes and stuff. I mean, that's, I suppose that's the one thing that has changed in the, in the past, you'd use Tipex and <laughs> all sort of stuff to, to correct it. But no, so I do, t you take it into Photoshop um, and, and change bits of color or sometimes you spill ink over it, you know, and you remove it and, and stuff like that. But that's really the extent to, I, to which I use it. I mean, there are more, cartoonists now that started working on iPads and um, and stuff, which is obviously very immediate. But I really like the sort of scratchy feeling of the paper. And it's almost like you stab this ink into the paper. You know? it's just, it has a sort of, uh, it's a bit more visceral, I suppose. It's just sort of like, <laughs> particularly if you're a bit angry. Morton talking from his home studio explains his process and how it all works into putting together a political cartoon. It's, it's a sort of, it's a really long process. It sort of looks so simple on, you know, it's just one picture on the on the page. But I, it, honestly, I, I sort of start the day with, with going through the newspapers and just the news and social media. And, you know, you get that sort of feeling of what the big story is. But obviously, because I'm still doing it for is not for Twitter, you know, it's for next day's paper. So you can, you have to think ahead what's well, going to be the big story the day after. Um, and then you get the news list from the Times. When you work in the newsroom, you go into a morning meeting with the editors and stuff like that as well. And you discuss, well, you just hear all the bits and bobs that's going to be in the paper. When I work here, I just go through the news list, go through newspapers and then just and then you sort of start thinking about, you know, often what we do, we combine stories, you know, that's a sort of typical cartoonist thing of, is, is a really good way of, of kind of getting a point across and often making it humorous is that kind of, if you combine a smaller story with a big story to get that sort of message across. And then I start doing roughs. Uh, I do really scribbly, really scribbly roughs. Uh, uh, they're very, very rough and just write little kind of, you know, crappy keywords, little things like that. But it's all very, uh, thankfully, I have very understanding editors who understand my, <laughs> understand my roughs. But um, yes, it's very scribbly. And then I, if I have one good idea, I'll send that to the editors and say, you know, please go for this one. Um, but if I have a few, I might send two or three. And then I talk to the uh, op-ed editor around sort of one o'clock-ish. Um, and then uh, we decide on a story from that. If you are familiar with Morton's work, you understand that it's bold. It uses a limited palette, but is colorful using thick lines. How did he develop that style? I think every sort of cartoon is starting out is always that Ralph Steadman, splattery ink, you know, that kind of, whoa. Um, and I do think, and, and also, and also um, 
I and I looked at a lot of American cartoonists like Kevin Callagher and and stuff like that. So there is definitely my style has sort of come out of my own style that I had before I discovered political cartoons and then adopted that into it. But obviously it's less now because you kind of find your style and then you you run with it um, in a way. But I think I think it it develops all the time and my. What I love, some of my favorite cartoons aren't the ones that necessarily are the most popular or are the most, you know, get the most response, is the ones where I feel I've had a, a breakthrough, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sure it's the same with writing or anything else you do sort of creatively, is that you have this kind of like, oh, wow, that's a nice way of doing background or, uh, or a character or proportions or, you know, something like that. Um, so it's... It's much less looking at other people now. I think that is very much the sort of first, first few years. Once a passion, now a day job. Does Morton still enjoy drawing cartoons? There is much time. So if I if I had the time, I would, you know. But I've got deadlines, you know, six days a week, um, and so it's kind of. Uh, there isn't that time. But then the good thing is I have. Um, kind of enough work that I can do do that experimentation in the work, you know, so I can try out new things. Um, and, and you have to just sort of think, is tomorrow's fish and chips paper, you know, because some of them are going to be appalling. Um, but then you hide it, okay, you just put it behind you and then try again. Um, and also, I I think I'm quite lucky that I've got the so we've got the Times cartoon, but that's a very sort of set format, you know, every single time. Um, but then the Spectator cover, you have a little bit more freedom. And then the Norwegian job I'm doing uh, one a week is totally free in terms of scale and space. And so those things allow you to sort of spread out, you know, out of that frame in the Times cartoon. So uh, and. And I think those kind of moments of sitting and drawing, not within that constrained space, um, helps to sort of develop the style a bit more. Clichés, as George Orwell once advocated, should be avoided at all costs. Where does Morton stand on the issue? Clichés are quite good, actually, in cartoons, because you can sort of use them ironically. <laughs> but it is... I think the problem is, right... Because every year, pretty much, we do the same stories, you know? So you have like A-levels and you have the budgets and you have uh, you have the Queen's speech and then you have, you have these kind of, in the diary of a year, you have these set political stories. And so it is sometimes hard, particularly with those, um, where you know the budget you have the chancellor holding up his red <laughs> his red box you know that sort of thing um and and also i just think if, so for those they're kind of if you can make a twist on that cliche again it's a bit like using another story or using an artwork for reference as a sort of uh, vehicle it can it can kind of work better but you can get the message across quicker because people instantly know the cliche you know i've, I've sometimes find when i think i've been very clever with some uh, that people just don't get it because they don't they expect to get the cartoon instantly 
And so if your if your kind of visual reference is too obscure, um, people just sort of flick the page and move on, you know. Morton goes on further to explain about his own technique. I, I paint with ink, and that is a kind of deliberate thing for boldness of colour to make it pop. So instead of using watercolour, which lots of people use, I use I actually paint with ink as well. But I what what I like is the sort of combination. I mean, the the biggest I'll go back again. <laughs> the I, one of my biggest lessons that I, I learned was from a uh, actually British cartoonist working in Norway. He was the first sort of professional cartoonist I I met, and he showed me his process, which was because his drawings were really simple, like really simple. And the way he drew them, he drew about six of them <laughs> of the same. And every time he would edit out things that aren't necessary. And that was just fascinating to me because I would have loved his first image. That worked for me. But when you saw the last image, which was dead simple, just a few lines, that told the story like that. And so each version, he would just cut out superfluous stuff. And I always try to remind myself that that is a very good way of working. And it works with some things, but then other times, you know, having the multitude of stuff on the page and sub gags and stuff like that also has a has a function. But I think that doing both is uh, is good. But the, the style has to be confident, if you know what I mean. So it has to have a sort of like... Um, that you know what you're talking about, <laughs> that you have said this with, with confidence. What qualities does a political cartoonist have to have? It's a very particular art form. Do they have to be funny? What's frustrating often for cartoonists is that you sort of, uh, people think they should always be funny, um, but that's obviously not the point. The point is that you use humour uh, often uh, to kind of get a point across for you trying to get the sort of ridicule and get the sort of essence of the story but yeah i think i think that you have to i don't think you have to be funny uh, I'm, I'm 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 very dull but um but i think you have to have a wanting to tell stories in a in an interesting way you know i think it, the political side i think you have to have a an interest in it otherwise you'd be bored to death because <laughs> a lot of the job is uh, is watching the news, but also you have to have, in order to take the essence out of something, you have to know what what the stuff is. You know, you have to know the big story, and then you can dig in and get the little bits. If you just did it based on headlines, you know, it wouldn't work. With all that in mind, what actually is the role of the political cartoonist? What is a mission statement? I don't necessarily think provocation or, or um, you know, of, offence, I think, sort of, it's more correct. Provocation is good. Offence for offence sake isn't, there's no point in that for me. I, I don't see any. Um, but what you want to do is kind of get an, a reaction. The worst you get is when you're just ignored, you know, it's just like, meh. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, it's much better if you get lots of people angry. Um, or if lots of people love it, you know, it's, it's like, but it's either those, you have to get some sort of reaction, the kind of, uh, me, that's just the worst. Um, but I think 
there's you don't have any power as such in terms of you can't you're not going to change anyone's mind i think with the cartoon um it's more kind of uh you know saying people you know people will become more set in their own opinions based on how they respond to your cartoon maybe that they realize someone thinks like me or they don't but it's um yeah i i, I don't think there's a sort of grand <laughs> a, a grand purpose of them other than it's a light-hearted kind of different way of looking at the news um and obviously historically it was the only thing in the newspaper that was humorous um pretty much i mean now we have kind of competition from photographers who, who take pictures of farage with a you know a microphone as a mustache you know that kind of photographers become much more playful in the way they do and so that's actually competition you know for us because they take our little use our little tools and uh and also just writers i mean there's much more humorous satirical writing now in in um newspapers so we have we're not on our own anymore one i challenge morton as to whether political cartoonists do actually have some power and can create means in the sense of the dork in the sense of the word here's what he has to say well, i suppose yeah i do that's right actually I, when you create characters that are, are repeated over and over again now i think you're right about that it does become it's picked up um and, and then it becomes a a thing and then everyone associates them with that it's a bit like the sort of spitting spitting image with uh john major as a gray gray man i mean that kind of thing sticks you know so yeah now i suppose there is something in that i i don't tend to necessarily do make cartoon characters like other people like peter brooks does he, he will get a character you know he will see a new politician and he, he will make them into a, a a cartoon character that he will just draw them like that forever and ever and things like ed milibanus uh wallace and wallace and gromit you know that kind of thing which um which can be very effective, I think. I was interested to find out more about Morton's own relationship with politicians. Has he had any strongly worded letters? And what do they say to him when they meet him in person? They do. I mean, you have some that are better at taking the joke than others. But I think most politicians, um, this is why Ralph Steadman stopped doing it, because he just, however much, however sort of cruel he was to them, they wanted to buy the cartoon. So it's just like, um you know they, they just you're just big you know bigging up their ego rather than knocking them down um which i suppose is true to an extent but i think um yeah you get you do get and you meet them at events and stuff like that as well and, and most of them are they have to be you know the, the job they're in they have to be able to laugh at themselves and the one the ones that aren't they're the most fun to draw because you know, you know they get annoyed about it, and and that's kind of uh, that's why it's so much fun to draw dictators and uh, these sort of tin pot generals and stuff like that because they just can't take the joke, and you know it hurts. <laughs> so it's 
Morton isn't just known for his cartoons, he's also known for his animations. As such, I was interested to find out how he got into that side of things. I started straight away when I started, like I said, I just thought something surely is going to change. And if I'm going to have any longevity here, I'll have to, I'll have to kind of redevelop it now. And I didn't know how to animate, so I just started learning it myself and doing little ones for myself. Uh, it didn't really, I mean, the thing was to, to do like a 10 second, 20 second gag, it would take me a week to do, you know, and there's no, in a newspaper, you just can't work like that. And also it's not financially viable either because they're never going to pay you a week's pay for a 20, 20 second gag. Um, and so I just practiced and practiced and got it down. And then around the time when the times were gonna go behind a paywall. Um, they wanted, they, they needed something kind of different to offer. And so they, they spent a bit of money on um, this, that and the other, you know, just to have more video, more, um, yeah, I mean, just different things that you can't get in the paper, um, exclusive stuff. And that's when I came on board and just said, I could try and do animations, animated cartoons. Um, and they they went for it, which was great. And the, the lovely thing was, I mean, the first ones I did for that, they were very poor and they were short, but they they stuck with it, you know, credit to them for that. They were buried way down on the, you know, in the website. Uh, it was only super fans that could, <laughs> basically me, uh, <laughs> could find it. Um, so, it, but they, they stuck with it and let me sort of learn on the job, um, which is, which is fantastic. And so um, now I, I do like often one, two minutes in, in a day and a half, um, which is a long, long day and a half, but you know, um, and so that makes it possible to do financially and and just you can actually respond to a story quite quickly, you know? Now we're not ever increasing digital age, how do political cartoons fare? And what does their future look like according to Morton? No, I, I think it fares really well. I mean, uh, honestly, I just, I don't, lots of people have this, um, are really gloomy about it and feel that, oh no, it has to be on newsprint and all of that. Oh, when the newspapers go, uh, you know, it won't work, they don't work online or so. I just think that's bollocks because, uh, you know, it is the most social media friendly format is one frame, a gag or a or a clever image or something. It is the most scrollable kind of media where you just come upon it, you get it and then you're gone again. So I, I don't see any reason why it can't survive. I mean, my, my thing was I was trying to innovate with the animation. And what I found was that I just kept writing the animations like I was doing my normal cartoons. So I basically spent 10 seconds telling the same gag as I would have done if I did it in one frame, which is just a meaningless way of, of doing it. You don't, you know, it's just animation for animation's sake. Um, and so, animation i mean it, it was this kind of big thing that you had to to do lots of people started doing uh, the kind of thing where 
the image appears, you know, and then you have the gag at the end. But the problem is you get you get the gag halfway through and then you just sit and watch it to the end. And oh. So the traditional cartoon is, is perfect for for the way we take news now. I think much more so than the animation in a sense, even though that's new. <laughs> you have been listening to the Tech Power and Media Podcast. Please like, subscribe and share.